Hello, audacious listeners. It's Mercy, your fave Gen Z on your fave Gen Z careers podcast, Audacity of We. Each episode, I'll be having chats about the reality, honesty, and spilling all the Gen Z tea when it comes to careers. So, let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Audacity of We, the podcast, your fave Gen Z careers podcast. And today, I have an awesome guest who honestly has been quite a part of my career because helped me get the first opportunity for mentorship through um, the platform that she runs. I have Julia Haber on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be here. So something I do at the start of my podcast is hype up my guests because I call myself the CEO of Hyping Up My Friends. So I'm going to let you sit there for a moment and just bask in all the um, hyping up I'm going to do of you today. Um, so I, as I said, I first came across Julia. She ran the first mentorship program I was a part of, and this was through her organization platform called Home From College. When we were in a pandemic and we were really like, what are we going to do after graduating? Like, what's going to happen? And I still think it's one of the mentorship programs that has had the most bizarre concepts, but absolutely uniquely beautiful, where we were matched with people who graduated during the 2008 recession. And we obviously graduated through um, with 2020 cohort through the pandemic. And we were like, what on earth are we going to do? How are we going to make it? And basically two crisis graduates be coming together and being like, how can we do this? How can we help? And I was matched with someone called Hugh Thomas and I ended up getting an internship, which has turned into a job. And as I said, that is a really significant part of my career because I was, I had no plan. I literally had no plan. And that mentorship program is something that has helped me forge my career and start it off. And, and I'm still in the company that I was introduced to today. So honestly julia thank you so much i think it's awesome everything you're doing and you have just also announced we are recording in july so just also announced that you've got a second program coming up and this one is called female future sessions and i think that's super awesome i'm really excited to get into that a bit more but for home from college what it's all about is a us-based organization where gen z start their careers and i can definitely attest to that i am literally a living walking like testimony of it um because the home for college is what started my career and it's amazing because it's based in the us but i'm based in scotland which you can probably tell by my accent and um, but that is just so so awesome because you what your mission is is something that i can personally say has happened so Julia, I think you're amazing. You're doing so many great things for young people and Gen Zs who are starting their career, but also people who are learning about Gen Zs. And I know you're working with so many organizations who are able to have access to that information, you know, through home from college. So we love to see it. I'm really, really happy to have you on the podcast. I'd love for you to kind of chat about yourself and just kind of what inspired home from college and just anything else you want to add that made your career what it is today. Well, thank you so much for sharing your personal story about it. We work with so many students that it's so easy for us to lose track of the stories of the people behind the connections and relationships. So I'm so happy to hear that your life and your career has taken off and we're just honored to be part of the process. So thank you. I, I have been 
really focused on building businesses in the college space for a number of years now. I started an experiential agency specifically focused on college um, while I was still in college and really found that there was this interesting relationship between students hoping to start and have a lot of anxiety around what career looked like and really the changing landscape of what the world has become in terms of the gig economy, in terms of all the career opportunities that exist that previously didn't. We really wanted to build a place where students could feel like we were their almost cool older brother or sister, not a parent telling them to get a job, not the school requiring it, but a place that really understood kind of the lifestyle and values of student. And we have just been growing like crazy since we started and just so lucky to have the chance to work with so many amazing students and companies. Yeah, I think when you said about the cool older brother or sister, I could totally like say that's the vibe it's given off because I remember when I was like finding out about home from college, I was like, oh, this marketing and this like content creation looks sick. Like it looks so good. And it just grab it makes you gravitate towards it. So I'm telling you that it definitely gives off that vibe. Thank you. Well, I can't take all the credit because we actually, when we started the business, we worked with groups of almost like 400 students for around seven months building the product and the brand. So every decision we made was backed by college students and Gen Zers who were giving their opinions about what they liked and didn't like. And that I think was one of our smartest moves because we were able to resonate with a lot of different types of people because a lot of people's inputs were heard in our creative process. Yeah. And you know what? Like, I think people really undervalue how much lived experience can be the driving factor for a product or for marketing because like if you are already talking to the people that you want to reach in the testing phase and building of it it's very much more likely going to land and the number the volume of number that you just said it's like of course you're going to get different you know perspectives and everything on it and the fact that it related to someone who lives across the ocean in scotland being like yeah this looks cool to even me i think you've def- it definitely worked I'm so happy about that. How did you initially hear about Home From College? I heard about Home From College, I think it was through, I think it was through Margot Lee on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I think she shared it and it was just the vibrant colors. I was like, what is this? Like, I'm really interested to what it is. And then the, just the fact that the mentorship program was, I think it was called 2009 um mentor club or something like that and I was like what it just so I was like we're in 2020 what's going on <laughs> like what's happening and then when you land on the website everything just starts to make sense and I like applied immediately and was super surprised when I got that email I remember going to my mom and dad and being like I don't know what's just happened but I'm on a mentor program that is coming from the U.S. and I think it's going to help me and it just went like Hugh and I like still talk to this day and I think that's just such a testament to the type of people you brought on that are willing to keep up those connections so yeah I heard about it through Instagram that's how I heard about it. Great. Margo is actually an advisor to our business so she has been super involved in helping us think about the strategy and the approach I actually just had a call with her before this so um, even more more full circle. 
Yeah, this is something I always say, everything happens for a reason, like everything just aligns. So that is crazy because I'm like, there's no way that that was an accident. I just think everything is just connecting and making sense. And then I want to talk about, you mentioned gig economy. You did mention that at the top of when you were explaining things and what that is. And in the UK, I feel like gig economy isn't really something, at least I've heard that people are chatting about. It's very much internships and like six months or even like 12 months internships. What is gig economy for people who don't know what that is? So the gig economy has become really influential for people who are consultants and already established professionals where companies want freelancers in a more flexible format. There are platforms like Upwork and Contra and Fiverr that have really dominated the market for those who have skills that can be transferable to an organization in a non-permanent capacity. We were really inspired by that thesis of flexibility because everything in the world needs to be flexible. Most people are now working remote. There was a pandemic. You know, we can't control our lives in the same capacity. And our insight was that if companies could have access to Gen Z in a format that was not as rigid as a traditional intern program where you had to go to New York City and sit in an office 40 hours a week or, you know, really have to uproot your life for these types of experiences, then it would be really appealing to both students and companies to make that marriage more accessible. And these traditional intern programs are really limiting, A, from a diversity perspective because they have had in-person elements to them. And B, it's really challenging if you don't feel like you have super marketable skills yet to be hired for an internship. So we said, let's create digestible mini experiences that have a lot of flexibility in them, where we create scopes of work that are written in English, are totally attainable for people who are at the earliest stage of their career, and give companies what we call GAS. So it stands for Gen Z access as a service. So you may have heard of SaaS, SaaS companies, you know, subscription as a service. We realized it could help make companies have that clear access to Gen Z and students get the chance in a flexible format, then it would really allow everyone to win and, and improve more diverse work environments and give more people a shot. You know, with that, I guess you were saying, you know, there's smaller pieces of work that people can tap into and, and do with Gen Z and especially a cohort that might have graduated in a pandemic. I think we do gravitate maybe sometimes more towards security. What do you think people should be thinking about of being, oh, I don't know if I should do that because it is so short term. Is there a different kind of mindset people should have towards that? I would say 80% of the students part of our community are still in college. And what we've really defined these workflows as are flexible. So some roles are honestly listed to be six months long, others are one day. So there's a lot of variety in the type of opportunities, but what we're seeing is we're providing people who previously worked at Starbucks or who work at the student cafeteria or who work at the coffee center on campus an option to make money and work with companies that would potentially enhance and benefit their resume beyond more of the traditional on campus like jobs. And we see that as an avenue to open up your mindset for different types of opportunities while giving you flexibility to make money in a format that's aligned with your life. So in terms of Gen Z, I would say everyone is all about 
about diversifying income and having being their own boss. And this is a really good starting point to try that and see how it works for you. I like how you're saying, you know, you're already starting it with college students. And so they get to experience that before they even have to face the world of work and gives them that little bit of independence and experience because, you know, unless your course allows it or your degree allows it, you're really in student mind unless you go out and seek, you know, the internship or you go out and do a side hustle. And that can be quite, you know, challenging for someone so young to take on. I know I found it challenging. I did part-time work and it was great because you're earning money, but then you also have to balance like your degree and the things that you're studying. So that can be quite challenging, but with the flexibility, I can imagine that is, brings relief to Gen Z. I would say absolutely. And we really try to bring a spectrum of opportunities that give the range, whether you want to come in for one day and give feedback to a company or you're going to come on as their new content creator for TikTok. It's all about transparency for us, where we say the expected amount of time it's going to take, the amount of compensation it will be, and any key piece of information. So there is a lot of transparency. So you as the student have the ability to make the choice depending on your lifestyle. And speaking of choice, talking about a little bit of the tea with Gen Z, something that I find quite interesting is that when we then eventually do go into the world of work, um, and like I said, if you did come into the world of work during the pandemic, you honestly grabbed at whatever you could get. Like it just felt that you needed a version of security. And something that might slip people's mind is how much they're getting paid. And they just might take whatever is, is in front of them. But I know that you're passionate about, you know, people being paid what they're worth and their value. How does one, you know, I guess, even consider the first step, even the mind frame considering, okay, I feel like I want to negotiate this because I know that, you know, other places are paying better than what is in front of me right now. I think TikTok is an amazing tool for this. I'm sure your audience and you have seen this a lot around salary transparency and using mm. numbers to negotiate your salary um, or what your compensation could look like. I would say the overall theme is being able to put yourself in the perspective of the person you're negotiating with and understanding how much flexibility do they actually have or do we envision they have? And is this something that we think they can overcome? And if so, providing options that you think are realistic and that align with your worth. Because if you're negotiating for something that the company can never afford, it's probably the wrong fit. And you don't want to hurt a relationship or a potential future opportunity by coming and across potentially aggressive or unaware. So I particularly say this being from the vantage point of a startup. And if someone came to us and said, you know, we were interviewing and they were work, previously worked at Google and they were making $350,000 a year and they were demanding that and that we didn't have the ability to afford that, it would just be something I would be aware of in how your tone comes across in negotiating. Mm. It doesn't mean you can't ask for it, but I think taking in all those factors makes a difference in how you do ask for what you're going for and be aware in your own life of if I'm looking to make a lot of money, these are the places I can do it. If I'm looking for an eye-opening career experience, these are the types of opportunities I can look for because it's not really one size fits all across each mm. business. So it's about being self-aware around what you need at that time and who can match that for you. Yeah. And then you're talking about, you know, the being aware part and 
I feel that when it comes to negotiating research is important. What are the things that people should be researching? Like you were talking about whether the company's evil, even able to accommodate that, that um, salary. What should people be looking for? I think there's a lot of questions you should not be afraid to ask an employer, particularly in an interview. I would say how many people are on your team headcount wise and how frequently are you hiring for the team and how long has the team been under this management? Is the team mostly new? Are you, is the company profitable? Am I going to be a key player in the projects at hand? Um, and really just trying to assess your potential value to the organization because that's always leverage you can understand. So if your role is something they're dying for, for example, TikTok, every company is trying to understand TikTok. They're spending mm-hmm. all types of money to try and figure it out. And if you believe you will be indispensable to that organization, negotiate your heart away because they need you. And if you believe Mm. that you do that, which you should, because you should have the confidence to know what you're good at and where you have room to improve, then take that opportunity. Um, But I think it's all about understanding what you're walking into and how your role will impact the broader organization. Yeah. And, you know, I really hope that I see more confidence coming through, especially in the UK with Gen Z, you know, taking this approach and being able to ask the questions, especially when, like you said, during the interview stage, because I think it's just people feel so nervous about it and being like, oh my goodness, they're going to shun me away and they're never going to want to speak to me again. But at the end of the day, it's a two-way street. And, you know, as much as you're giving them value, they should give you and like, you know, reward you for your value. I will not hire anybody in an interview if they don't have any questions for me. If they, it's the best interview I've ever had. And the person feels like a 10 out of 10. And when I say, so do you have any questions? What are your thoughts? What's, what would be your concern in taking this job? There, there would be, and there's no answer to that. It's a no for me because I need the person to feel confident enough to ask a question that makes them a little bit uncomfortable. And mm. that shows a lot about you as an individual and less even about what you're asking. So I would mm-hmm. take it as in a power move to ask it in a respectful format. Okay. Yeah, definitely. And I guess how do people, if they might feel a bit, you know, apprehensive in doing that, can people build that confidence and how, how could they do that? Absolutely. I think it's a great point. And it's not something you need to do out the gate. And it wasn't something I was always confident doing. But I think you should feel like you deserve to get your questions answered. Because if you think about your life, and all the things you have going on, and everything you're going to be dedicating your life to in this job and giving up what we were just discussing before, you know, being able to travel and go on vacation whenever you want. And, you know, there's a lot of opportunities to make money in this world. So you should feel like you can ask the questions because of what it will give you in your life and what you are potentially giving up if you don't know. And it will ultimately save you time if you have more information out the gate. So I think if you think about it through the lens of 
I'm doing this to help me and to help them best understand who we are. It's almost like when you have a dating profile and you're a catfish and you spend all the time going to a date and then you show up and you're not anything like who you were supposed to be. It's a waste of everyone's time. So I think it's out of respect for your own energy. It can be something you can build up to and just understand what's important to you and then ask in advance. Mm-hmm. And I really do resonate with the the idea that I've seen people where they put the, the work first instead of themselves. But if you don't put yourself first and kind of like what you need, then how are you supposed to do the work? You'll resent your work. You're going to say, oh, this yeah. takes all of my time. I don't like the mission. What is my boss even saying? You know, it mm-hmm. will breed a negative environment. So I totally. Yeah. Oh, I love how we had that conversation. And I think it's something that Gen Z's are going to be facing, you know, when, you know, they come out of college or university and get into the working space. And I truly believe like recognizing your value is one of the top things that people should do, especially at the start of their career. Um, and we're living in a world where the living costs are going up. So definitely thinking about that earlier on can, can help in how we navigate, you know, the world that we live in at the moment. And hopefully it does ease off, but this is the reality that we have right now. So it's always good to think about it because companies, they do have money, like they do, and they will hopefully pay you what you're worth. But if you also don't advocate for that, it's going to be very challenging to, to even see it, what the, the value that you want to get from it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to move on to the next segment that we have. It's called the One Thing Handbook. And the reason it's called the One Thing Handbook is because, can't lie, I may have a short attention span. So I like to latch on to one thing that someone has said, at least one thing. I'm like, oh, I had a conversation. What's the one thing I took from that? So that's what I want people to have with the podcast. One thing that they can take from the podcast that they can bring into their careers, whether at their very start of their careers or whether even further along in their careers. I genuinely feel that it's always a progressing environment or a journey going in your career. It never stops I mean until you retire but still even with that it's always good to have advice that you can take on at any aspect of your life and wherever you are so I'm going to ask you different areas and we're going to start with the positive because we like to start good and then we'll get into the more challenging ones but what is the one thing about your job especially as a founder that brings you joy what's the one thing that you you know as a founder you feel like makes you happy to come to do the work that you do and how can people lean more into that aspect of joy it's a great question i was actually thinking about this the other day i've never had a formal job with a boss that i look to for answers i've typically always worked for myself which is a privilege and i'm grateful to have that opportunity but I am very much the type of person and maybe people in your community will resonate with this where I have a notebook by my bed at night and I come up with a million different ideas and I'm on a run and or I'm in the shower and all these different ideas flood in my brain. I'm a typically very creative person and I have the ability to pretty much try and make anything happen. And Mm. some of them don't work. Some of them do. Luckily, the 2009 club was something that I thought of in the middle of the night and wrote down. And now this is an experience that we have here. But a lot of those things I feel grateful to be able to come up with and then try and make happen. And that brings Mm. me so much joy because I love 
ideating and then seeing the impact. Um, and that's something that I'm really grateful for in my job that I do not take for granted. Cause I know many people don't have that flexibility within their professional lives. Yeah. And I love that you spoke about, you know, when you come up with these creative ideas, some of them work and some of them don't like, I think that's the thing, but at least like you said, you had the, you have the flexibility and you're giving it a try and it's definitely paid off in some respects. So the joy of freedom is also what I'm hearing in, in the choice to be able to be so creative. And I kind of had that as well when I was, you know, building this podcast because I had so many ideas of podcasts before and I was like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. And then I was like, you know what, let me have, I have the freedom of choice because it's my idea if, it's, if people don't latch on to it then fine that's okay but it's you know it is that thing where freedom of choice but then the action and the flexibility even in your mind allowing yourself to be like okay whatever whatever will be will be let me give it a go and let me give it a try I think the point you just made connecting that where it's being kind to yourself that if it doesn't work you are not a failure and yeah. the idea and you are not one. And there will be many more before or many more after. And that it's not reasonable for you to expect everything to work, but you'll never know if you don't give it a shot. And then you'll, you know, re regret not having that opportunity that you may have had if you didn't put your best foot forward. Yeah, you'll never know unless you try. It's one of them lines that people are like, yeah. oh, I've heard it a million times. But honestly, that's why they're repetitive because people just, it takes a while to click. And until you do it is when you know, you're like, oh, that's what it meant. And it can be in really small things in your life. It doesn't need to be launching a podcast or coming up with a business. It can be, I am interested in painting. Can I go to a painting store and buy a canvas? Never did it before. Don't know if I can, but... I'm interested, so I'm going to try. And if it's a bad thing, mm. I'll throw it out. But I think those little decisions you make in your life can help prime you for the bigger ones so that your fear of quote unquote failure is lessened. Yeah. Yeah. Because failure just seems like this big, massive, scary concept to people that they just want to shy away from. But like when we were saying, you never know unless you try. What if it works? I think. But also, I think, Julia, people find it really challenging because they're like, OK, what if it works? What do I do then? That's what I felt like in the podcast. I remember when I announced it and I was presenting it and everyone's like, oh, my God, it's a good idea. And I was like, ah, no, I need to do it. <laughs> and it's that thing where it's like just people are scared of the unknown, I think, is what it is. And whether that's yeah. positive or negative, but it's like giving yourself the freedom and being kind to yourself, what you were saying, of being like, okay, whether it's great, good, whether it's not, fine, I'll just move on to the next thing. And the secret is, which everyone knows, no one knows anything, truly. Like yeah. the world is being rewritten right now in every shape and form. So you not knowing the next steps in the podcast, most likely no one else does either. So it's, you can always mm -hmm. look to mentors for advice, but everyone's story is a little bit different and understanding that, you know, somebody else who is a peer of yours who created a podcast maybe wasn't successful, but yours is. And it, there's all these factors that, you know, contribute to that. Mm, definitely. I feel that's a common theme when I talk to people. It's like, no one knows what the hell they're doing. Literally not a clue. We're all figuring that out as we go. And if the two years that we've had in a pandemic um, have taught us anything, is that literally no one knows what's going on. And we're all just going to figure it out as we go, really. Absolutely. Yeah. And then getting into an area that's a little bit more challenging, but what is something you've learned that is a career watch out that if someone came to you, there's, you know, whether they're starting their career or not, but like, you're like, okay, this is something that you need to think about heading into this. 
I can only really speak from my personal experience, what has been a career watch out for me. But what I really realized was that a lot of my career, I was in school for how many years are you in college, you know, in your academic career, you know, 20 years or something like that, a ridiculous amount of time if you happen Mm. to go to college. And I never fully felt successful in that environment. I was not a great test taker. I would sit in a lecture hall of 300 kids and feel kind of lost and Mm. would study really hard and just not perform in the way that I know my effort contributed and what a career watch out for me was that I wanted to be in a place where even the micro wins felt good because Mm. I spent so many years being put in a system that told me this, an A is good and a B is okay. And a C is you need help. And, and that wasn't necessarily representative of my experience because I just didn't fit in that box. So what I made sure in my career was that I didn't have to fit in a box and that maybe I could make yeah. the box or maybe I could surround myself with people who allowed me to feel little pieces of success because that's super important in order to keep you going. And being mm. in an environment that promotes that is necessary for everyone. And those moments that you have early in your career or your life in that way do shape later on. So if you're in a job and your boss is really terrible and you don't feel successful or you're not passionate about the concept, there are other options and feel like you can go out and look for them because your life is too important. And these moments are too precious to not feel successful. And I would encourage you to go out and try and find what feels good for you. Yeah, I love that. And when you were talking about this box, I actually read something that you wrote and you were talking about, you know, when people say, you know, think outside the box or whatever it is, you said it's really important that you break the rules and you jump out of the box, literally jump out of it, get rid of it. And I think an example that you gave is that you rarely applied through, you know, job portals and you just emailed people directly. Like what, what did that look like? And how did you, you know, come up with this being like, no, I'm not going through that way. I'm going to do it my way. I think it really all came from my experience academically, not being a one size fits all easy process for me. I realized that there were a lot of avenues I had to go in order to be successful. And a lot of that for me was building relationships with my professors or sharing my intelligence in alternative ways. And I realized that I had found a lot of success in that in my academic career, where I would come up with you know, creative study guides or alternative assignments instead of taking a multiple choice test. And I really excelled in that area. And I realized that that was an acceptable thing to do. And it ultimately benefited me more because I differentiated myself in that way. So I think when you are feeling stuck or you're feeling like the process isn't working or you're applying to a lot of jobs, or you're feeling desperate, it's important to say what is my goal here? And is there another path? Because there always is another path. It's just a matter of how easy is the next path to get to and how badly you do want to do it. And that always has been a guide for me. And it was a narrative that I think my mother always had in my head where she said, you know, if you can't figure it out this way, we'll figure it out in another way. And Mm, that resonated with me in order to see opportunity when conflict arose. 
Yeah, I love that figuring out another way because there is always another way and it will and it will work out, you know, whatever path it is, it the path you go down, it will work out just some might take longer than others. I love that so much. And then I guess when it comes to, you know, if you look back to the start of your career, you were saying that you just you always just naturally thought differently, you know, spaces didn't feel like they were allowing you to be who you could what your potential was like what would you say to someone starting out in their career that may be similar to you you know what do you wish they know starting off i think we're in a really amazing time for people who experience that feeling because there are so many options out there in the world i never had the chance to really intern real time in school while i was in college because it wasn't a thing to do virtual work in any Mm -hmm. capacity. So I think maybe doing an internal moment and say, what are the things I'm super passionate about? Where do I find things the easiest and how can I spend more of my time doing that? And there Mm -hmm. are so many opportunities out there, whether it's ghostwriting for a blog or it's, you know, curating, you know, clothing samples for an influencer that you love their style or writing, you know, or creating a podcast. There are a lot of different things that at least you can try to see if it works for you and you're Mm -hmm. enjoying it. And then there will be a world of opportunities that come up from that. But there is a lot of flexibility for you to go down different paths that you're excited about and then see in adjacent way, what are career opportunities that could arise from that. Yeah. And I, I relate to that too, because I have like several different passions. My issue is, is distilling, you know, what's the one I go for or how do people not get overwhelmed with choice? They're like, Oh my God, this is crazy. There's so much to do. What do I go after first? Yeah. I I feel that too. I also like to have my cake and eat it too and try all the (laughs) things. And then ultimately I can't do all of them well. So it's, it's a challenge for me in that way. It was Actually, the 2009 club was one of those moments where we were doing 900 other initiatives because I was so excited about all these other ideas. And my co-founder said to me, Julia, the program we are most excited about will fail if you don't focus your energy in one place. And it was something I had to try a lot of different things halfway to see which one I wanted to spend my most time on. And I think that goes back to the other thing, just start trying a lot of things because then you will, you'll think about, oh, you know, when you're going to sleep at night, oh, I wish I finished that. Or, oh, I, you know, I can't wait to do this tomorrow. And that Mm -hmm. will be clear to you on which thing you should spend your most energy on. Yeah, that's really good to have that kind of even a process or something to be like, okay, how do I approach this? So that was, that must be, really good for people to take on board and I hope that people are writing this down or you know typing it on their phones or something because that's me like I needed that so I'm gonna listen to this back and be like what did you want to say like and just take that in because you'll find me doing 50 million different things and then I'll be like oh my gosh yeah sleep who is she I don't know who she is but that's really helpful and I feel like with the industry that you're in it's really unique like it's a very interesting industry yes educational platforms if you will but where first of all where do you think or where can you tell say that people can understand where you sit in the space in terms of industry it's a great question and what we really are home from college is a platform for students for their career 
And there are a lot of different facets for that. Right now, we're really focused on creating these gigs and experiences, which happens to sit in a little bit of this kind of HR slash marketing world where companies will come to us and say, I need help product testing or focus groups or advisory panels or ambassador programs or TikTok content creators. And it really just is... Mm -hmm positioned as an access tool for them. So it sits in that side on both marketing and recruiting. But when it really comes down to it, my vision for Home From College is to be the place where everyone starts their career. And Mm -hmm. I think embodying that brand has been super important because when you build a brand that aligns around a lifestyle or a phase of life or a key moment or something that's very emotional, there are a million different spokes and pillars that can come from it. So in terms of the industry, I would say we're a consumer platform built specifically to be a college student's best friend with elements that include marketing, recruiting, mentorship, community building, but the unifying factor is Gen Z. And that's Mm. really the only thing that I would say is the through line across everything we do and being a support factor and putting young people first. Yeah, because the question I was going to ask was what is one thing that you hope that leaders or peers within this industry can do and what do they need to think about to help progress this type of work but it's I just feel like your your platform is so unique like is there anyone around you that's doing the same thing but if you can think of people who are slightly similar in the space what do you hope that they also are thinking about to help this this thing to be supporting Gen Z? Yeah, I would say any company that has Gen Z at the core, whether it's a Gen Z customer or it's a Gen Z employee base or it's a company valuing the opinions of this audience, which is everyone, because Gen Z is about to be, I think, 80% of the total world population in the next three years. So it's the same as every generation goes, you know, first it's boomers, then it's millennials, and now it's Gen Z. So everyone needs to care about how Gen Z is engaging in the world. And I think the way that companies or people across different industries can find success when thinking through Gen Z is putting your ego aside and understanding that though you've been in the working world or though this product has existed for however many years it has, or though these things about it have been successful, Gen Z may see it completely differently and they (laughs) may hate it or they may love it or they may want to cancel you. And you have to be open to hearing the feedback because Mm -hmm. they are going to be the decision makers for the rest of time for the next 25 years. So Mm. it's important to put your ego aside and stop looking at historical information, but think of the world today and from the vantage point of how Gen Z sees it so that your business can be successful across that audience. Yeah. And I guess as, you know, a founder who is so much in this space, you must have conversations with, you know, generations older about this very topic. What do you, what do you want them to be open to one and how do they put their ego aside if they feel a bit like "Mm, i don't know about this they're unsure it's so interesting because a lot of it just has to do with inherent anxiety and people's appetite for risk which is exactly what we were just talking about before and when you come from 
a lot of structure or a big corporate institution. There are a lot of practices that have been put in place to help manage processes, which is Mm. totally great and right and perfect, you know, perfect for particular industries. But we work really closely with Beyond Meat and PBS and big corporate companies that have been around for long periods of time. And the leaders of those companies that do the best job are the ones that are super curious around what's working and what's not. And what are the trend components that Gen Z is holding on to and why are they holding on to them? So Mm. maybe it's transparency and everyone's talking about transparency, but how does transparency impact your product? If you're beyond me, maybe transparency of pricing, maybe transparency of ingredients, maybe transparency of supply chain and getting super curious about how different themes that Gen Z values can translate throughout your whole business. And that's what Mm. the best companies are doing because it's not about just throwing up an ad campaign and pretending that it's resonating, but it has to be a core shift in your business practice. And it requires you to be willing to change that. And if you're not, then that's its own problem. But that would be Mm -hmm. my first recommendation for a lot of businesses that do it well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If you're not, you're creating a challenge for yourself. And I don't think with the world that's already challenging, it might not be the avenue you want to go down. So I think that's really important. Yeah, for sure. I think that's so important for leaders to, to take on and just being like, you know what, the ego aside part is really important let me hear what's going on because it's going to happen without them or not. Like that's the thing. It is going to happen. So I'm glad that you mentioned that because it's nice hearing it and feeling validated where I'm like, maybe if you just listened, like you might get a bit further in in your decision-making. Yeah. Well, um, Julia, we're going to move on to a bit of a game and I just thought it'd be a really nice way to kind of wrap up the podcast. And the game is called keep or delete. And what it is, is that I'm going to present you with three questions or topics. And basically what you have to do is you choose in an ideal world. If you want to keep it, it's something you want to hold. You want to, you want it in your life. It's a bit of you. It's something you're happy to have, or you delete it. You getting rid of it. You can throw it out the window. You're just like, no, I don't need that. In an ideal world, if I didn't have to do that again or see that thing again or whatever, that's fine with me. Okay. You ready? Sounds great. Okay. So the first one is a bit of an interesting one. It's social media based and it's reels on Instagram. The reason I say this is because I feel like obviously TikTok, we've talked about it a lot and like, it's really great. And I remember when reels came on Instagram and I said, Instagram, here we are again, (laughs) another replication. But what do you think? Reels and Instagram, would you keep or would you delete it? Can I analyze it first and then make a decision? Please let's, yeah, go ahead. So I actually was um, interning in Los Angeles with Snapchat the year that Instagram stole the stories and put it on Instagram. Is it? Yeah. Wow. Okay. And it was Tell such, the such an interesting time because everyone at Snapchat was freaking out because that was their core product use case. And I think mm. obviously... Instagram did a really great job adopting it and making it its own version. They're very different use cases between Snapchat stories and Instagram stories. But I think what Instagram has not done well is taken their own approach towards 
video-based content. They're just, they have right. quite literally copied and pasted elements of TikTok that provide no additional creativity. And stories on Instagram are an avenue of expression in a way that they are not on Snapchat. And I think that okay. Instagram needs to create their own use case for video-based contents called Reels that is different than the value prop of TikTok. And if they do that, I'm down to keep it. And I've heard through my relationships there that there's something boiling in a new version of an algorithm and a change. So I'll keep it for the sake of watching and seeing what happens. But um, I'm not an active reeler. So in that sense, I'm a delete, but let's keep it. And we can circle back in a year and see where that All right. Okay. I love that. We say keep it, but I've got my eyes on you is kind exactly. of what the choice that we've made. Okay. I'm down for that. I like that. I like that decision. Okay. The next one is the debate between red wine and white wine, keeping red wine and you have to delete the other one or you keep white wine and you have to delete the other one. What's your, what's your choice? My audible would be rosé. So that would be in the middle, but okay. um, I would choose. I would I'll choose. find out you have a new way to answer the questions yeah. and I love it. Yeah. Isn't that the most fitting off of this whole conversation? It's exactly. I'm like, oh, this is Julia. Yeah. yeah She'll yeah. find another way. Oh my God. Option three. Um, I would say, I would say white wine because it's the most adaptable, but my thesis is in the next 10 years, people will not be drinking alcohol in the way that they currently are. I think it's going to absolutely. I agree. I was actually having that conversation with my sister the other day where it's like, why is it that everyone's, oh my goodness, I want a glass of this or a glass of that. When, what are the actual numbers of people who enjoy alcohol? Like, I think it's more so, it's definitely a social thing where you expect that you have to drink it. And I think people are getting into a space where they feel more freeing to say, actually, I just don't drink it. There's no reason as to why I don't drink it or I just don't like the taste of it. And that's okay. Totally. I think I've seen a lot about it. it's called like proactive sobriety, where it's not because you're an alcoholic, but it's because mm. you want a cleaner life. And I definitely lean more on that spectrum, especially as all these health trends are so pre- prevalent about all the things you're putting in your body. And we're literally putting alcohol and toxins in by consuming it. So mm. I think it'll be interesting to see the evolution of how the industry is going to adapt to that and all these new brands that are alcohol free. Yeah. It is a fascinating thing to think about because I mean, currently it's hard to see the world move in a way without it, but it's I definitely see it moving in that way. I just, I'm fascinated to see how it it shows up because I'm, I'm indifferent either way. Like if there's a glass in my hand, there's a glass in my hand. If there's not, there's not. And I am completely fine. So it, but the UK also loves a drink. I can't, I feel like it's definitely a a drinking culture over here. So it'll be interesting to see different locations and how that geographic locations and how that plays out as well. But it's a trend that I've been seeing. Mm, So interesting. Okay, so my last one is US-based and it is on locations. You know, we've got the West Coast, we've got the East Coast, and it'd be interesting to hear which one you would keep and which one you delete in terms of living there. Um, I think I know where you're based, so it might sway it. New York versus LA. Where would you want to keep and where would you want to delete? 
where, where do you think I'm based right now? I feel right. So my understanding is that you're based in New York, but the aesthetic I'm feeling from your background is really giving LA right now. <laughs> That's so funny. The reason this is a loaded question is because I'm from New York and lived in New York my whole life, almost my whole okay. life. Yeah. Um, and a lot of my family is still there and my childhood home and my New York type A personality. But mm-hmm. you're right around the aesthetics. And for those of you who are just listening, there's a very large cactus behind me, which yeah. is a very <laughs> <LA> thing. <laughs> um, actually moved to LA about a year ago. Um, so oh, wow. it is a new chapter, but I, I'm going to say keep LA because I'm really feeling the foreseeable future here. And I'm grateful mm. to have the New York blood in me, but I very much love the Los Angeles quality of life. Oh, that's awesome. What inspired the move to LA? Cause I know we were talking about, you know, especially with the hybrid world that we live in and remote working that it's definitely more flexible in where you live and where you work. They don't have to be aligned. Like what inspired that move? So I define myself by being a New Yorker. It was a part of my characteristic that I really loved. And when the pandemic happened, and my work life has always been super crazy and busy and stressful. New York, for people who have not been there, is a very anxiety-provoking place that has a lot of things going on. And when you're building a business and life is stressful and there's a global pandemic and all of these things, it allows you as an individual to start questioning where you're alliance is or where you find your happiness. And I have to start to strip my identity of being a New Yorker away from what I felt I wanted at that time. And Mm. I really wanted a place where I could have a completely new network of people that are not those who I've known for a long time and challenge myself in that way, but also expose myself to a new vibe um, and Mm. frequency that was not the type A version I always felt I needed to be, but was a more balanced person that would allow me to be a well-rounded version of myself. So I think it's a complicated way to say I'm a mix of both, but I think where you are in life can very much represent what you're feeling at that time. And I think this was a very big um, emotionally mature move for me to be able to remove my perception of self and move it towards something that I wanted to become rather than I felt like I already was. Okay. So, wow. Do you know, that's so interesting. Cause I was like, the time difference isn't making sense. Cause I was doing it based on the East coast and um, time difference, but this is, that is really fascinating what you're talking about and just exposing yourself to new opportunities. But you, you were saying that that is scary, but it's something that you genuinely wanted to do and the pace of work, you're doing something that's right for you that matches the type of work you do, but doesn't mean your lifestyle outside of that has to match that energy. Like maybe it's telling you to relax and have a cactus in the background and have the nice white walls. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think knowing um, what, you actually said about needing, not needing to be anywhere is interesting because as an early stage startup, we've made the decision. Our whole team is remote right now, but we'll be hiring probably around 10 more people in the next six months. And we made the decision that we want everyone to be in Los Angeles because there's something about in person 
that is really important in relationship building, particularly in an early stage business that has been super important to us. And it actually is a trend that Gen Z really wants to be in the workforce and be in the office. So that is something that we are making a pillar of our business so that people can become friends and not just Zoom friends, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, that definitely makes sense. And I think, especially two years into my career, you do have that bit of a feeling where you're like, mm, like human contact would be nice during the workday. <laughs> so, and like physical human contact. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But if you ask me, maybe two years from now, maybe it will change. But for now, that's that's the breakdown. Yeah. Oh, well, if you're playing a game with Julia, she'll always find another way to answer the question. I'm the worst and I love- <laughs> The thing is, is that you were talking about these theses when you were answering the under- And I was like, yeah, like I'm like on the journey with you, like going, I'm like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. You're very good at having that conversation, which I oh think God. probably explains how you're doing all this stuff and like creating crazy concepts like the 2009 Club, where someone's like, I'm sorry, what is the concept of that? And then it's like, oh, it works because someone got a job. That's awesome. So yeah, Julia, thank you so much for being on this podcast. And I'd love to know kind of, you were talking about hiring in the next six months and what do you hope is next for Home From College? You say that you have like a base that you want to build in LA. Like what does the next, I guess, year maybe look like at Home For College? Yeah. So today we um, are a team of eight people. Um, We'll probably be around 20 shortly. We have representation across over 800 college campuses in the U.S. now, which is really amazing. We work with over 200 companies. So it has been an amazing growth year over the last period of time. Um, Where we want to be in the next phase of our business is really focusing on this next new product that we're building, which is all around the resume and giving transparency and analytics to students around the resume Mm. and creating what we're calling this resume studio that will be this hub for your professional brand to live for you as a young person to get real-time analytics on who's opening your resume, how much time you're spending, how could you have improved it, and really be an advocate for what that looks like. Um, So that's really where we're spending time and really focusing on the education of our business to the outside world and starting to do a lot of external marketing for the first time, which will be really great. Oh, that's fun. And you're talking about kind of the programs and the things that you offer on the website. Um, Is that firstly, is that open internationally? It is open internationally. There are, if there are geographic restrictions, it will be aligned on the opportunities. We're actually working with a lot of UK businesses now. So that is something that could be interesting to your community. But we also just launched a program called Female Future Sessions, which is a group mentor program where there are 13 amazing female leaders who are a mix of influencers, successful business leaders, and really just amazing women who will be hosting group mentor sessions. So it's less intimidating on a one-to-one level, but you get to network with a group of your peers with this mentor. So that's currently live on Home From College in July, um, and we'll be rolling out in August 
again, so um, all everything is internationally accessible. So if you are based elsewhere from the US, you are welcome to check it out. Oh, that's amazing. I think some people are applauding when they're hearing this because I'm just like, I feel like the concepts that you come up with are so fascinating. So it's great that that's accessible. And I guess, how do people like, what can people sign up for like on the website? Is there just like, is there portals? Is there things? What's on there for them? So on Home From College, when you come on and create an account, you are building what we call your Home From College resume. So we capture a lot of information about who you are, what you're passionate about, and how you think. And once you have an account on the platform, it's basically one click in order to apply to all of the gigs that we have on the platform. So it's super easy for you as an individual to get involved and everything is 100% free for students. So there will never be a time where you're ever charged. So that's really important to us. And the way that you sign up is just on homefromcollege.com. Amazing. Everything is free. That is another statement that's probably getting an applause. But honestly, I've just been so I've loved following home from college. I think the Instagram is super incredible. But the website is just really like attractive. Like It just really looks cool. And I think the way you explain things as well is very like succinct. It's to the point and like you just get it and it's spoken in a way that I feel would connect really well with Gen Z clearly with the growth that you've been having and so I mean coming to the end where do people follow home from college and where do people follow you if you want to plug that what what should people be looking for yeah thank you um check us out on Instagram we're really working on the TikTok game so if you want to be a real sis follow us on TikTok um, yes please. and all all my social media is just my first and last name, Julia Haber, and would love to see you there. Awesome. Well, you know where to find Julia, and you now know where to find Home From College. And for Audacity of We, we are on LinkedIn, so Audacity of We on LinkedIn, but we're also, the podcast episodes are live on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and they're also live on Amazon Music as well. And if you have any questions or anything that you want to reach out to me personally, you can get me on audacityofwe at gmail.com. But Julia, Thank you so, so much. I'm so happy for you. I love that you've had a move and I just, I'm really excited to see what's next for yourself, but also from home from college. It's just awesome what you're doing. Thank you for having me. I feel so honored to see you're the embodiment of home from college and just doing it. And so proud of everything that is in front of you and what you've built. So thank you for having me and excited to talk again soon. Yeah, definitely. And I will connect with all these listeners on the next podcast. Bye, everyone.